Stories from Foster Care is brought to you by the Irish Foster Care Association in association with the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth. Welcome to Stories from Foster Care. I am Andrew Murphy and in this episode I speak to foster mum Josie Corr and her adult foster son Thomas Monaghan. In our conversation they share the joy, some of the challenges and they share a rare glimpse to the relationship that exists between foster parent and child. As I kind of came into my teens then I definitely began to understand it a lot better and I begin to have maybe more meaningful relationship with my birth mother. I was very lucky again, just to always have contact with her growing up. And there was periods where sometimes where I may not speak to her for a while, or there was a huge amount of effort being put in from her side and then from my side. And it fluctuates, you know, it fluctuated a fair bit, but we always maintained the relationship the best that we could. Welcome to Stories from Foster Care. Thank you, Thomas and Josie, for joining me this morning. Uh, we had a, a, a rocky uh, morning with the storm getting together, but uh, it was great, to, great to, to speak with you this morning. Thanks so much for, for joining us and giving us your time. Thomas and Josie, a lovely combination. We have a foster child, adult foster child, and a foster mum. And it's really, really lovely to kind of get an opportunity to speak to, to, to that combination. And... Josie, I was just wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about your entry into fostering. I know you told me that you've been doing it for quite some time. Could you tell me a little bit about your journey into fostering? Yeah, I started in um, March 85 and it it wasn't a planned thing. Right. A friend of mine from Letterkinney was interested in fostering because I had could have three children at the time and the oldest to be eight, nine, maybe. So I had no intentions of ever doing it. I didn't even understand what it was about. Okay. But anyways, we went to Casabar one day and they had prefab buildings and we went in and Mary was talking to the social worker in there. And I was looking out the window and looking at the pictures on the walls and all we saw, all I saw was horses up on the wall, pictures of horses and everything. And we always kept horses here. But Mary, Mary from Leisure Kinney was her strong, twenty-goal accent, mm-hmm. and that. And they were talking um, about fostering. And so, uh, I think his name was uh, Brian, uh, the social worker. And he turned to me and he asked me, "Did I consider?" And I told him, "No, I could give him three children if he wanted to do it." Wow. <laughs> So uh, it started from there, and she got all the paperwork. Mary got all the paperwork on the wall, and I got nothing because I had no intention of doing it. Mm-hmm. So a month later, it was uh, in uh, springtime, and I was I usually used to do all my baking in the morning. And my mother-in-law was living here at the time. She was just, she decided she was going to town, so I started baking rhubarb tarts. And I ran short of rhubarb and I was going out to the garden and uh, put the knife on my hand and flour in my hand. And and this guy was standing outside the door. He said he was in the area, the same guy that I met in Casabar, he was in the area and he wanted to chat. 
Right. He came in and we chatted and uh, he persuaded me to do it because uh, I was stay-at-home mother and I was also farming. My husband was at work mm-hmm. and I was also farming and that and I had a mother-in-law here living with us at the time so we didn't have too much room. Yeah. So uh, it started from there. A very busy setup, Josie, already. Yes, it uh, was a busy, a very busy house. And, and it know, sounded very casual, it. this uh, meeting that you had. Who was the guy that, you, can you recall, or what was he? Was he a social worker from the, the health he board? Was, he, yeah, he was a social worker. And um, he moved to Galway later on in life. I often think about it the way I started doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, Mary never done it. To this day, Mary never done Are it. You, you have a laugh. That's funny. Sometimes about it, yeah. That's gas. Very different, I suppose, Josie, than it's, uh, I suppose what I'm thinking is, it's very different from today and how people enter fostering today. And so how long, so is that, is it okay to say you've been fostering for 40, in and around 40 years or so? Yeah, coming up. Yeah, wow. 40 years. A veteran. A veteran. It's really, really important voice to hear. And, and, And the changes, you must have seen so many changes over the years. Yeah, quite a lot of changes, quite a lot of changes. The biggest change would be the turnaround of social workers uh, in, we'll say, in Thomas's time. Up to that, it would pretty be stable enough. Mm -hmm. Coming up to Thomas's years here and uh, I would have another child at the same time and the turnaround of social workers was... Disastrous. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So before that, it was pretty, pretty soft, it was stable. Pretty, yeah, it was pretty good. Okay. And what year then, Thomas? We're we're going to got what? What age is Thomas now? Uh, twenty-seven. Twenty-seven now, Thomas. Okay, you're getting on. <laughs> getting on. Yeah. Don't don't remind me. <laughs> but uh, so so around the nineties, you're talking about a change in terms of when the focus on social workers was started to change for you, Josie. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Maybe, you know, it was maybe the first two years or three years with Thomas, it was uh, straightforward enough. It was much the same social workers. And does that make a difference, Josie? I mean, I know that's probably, a, a, that answers itself in some respects, but I'm sure, would you, could you tell me a little bit about that, what it's like in terms of having that changeover of social worker? You know, I suppose I was so used to it at this stage. It didn't really bother me too mm, much. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm that type of a person. Sure. Yeah. I will do what I have to do and get on with it. Yeah. And if I have to notify them later, I'll do that. Okay. In the yeah. meantime, if I have to get something done with the children, I used to do it and, you know, tell them later then. Okay. I used to get to tell now for it, but <laughs> it worked. You, got it, you made it work for yourself and the family, yeah? Yes, yes. Very good. And, yeah. and Josie, you've had many foster ch- children over your time. How many would you say are calculated? Maybe well into the hundreds. Wow. Oh, my gosh. You know, I think some of them children would be repeats. Okay. In those years. Sure, sure. You know, they you. might go back and they come again. And, okay. You know. And, and then I suppose bringing you up to Thomas then. So you had a lot of children come and go and short-term placements and respite. And then Thomas came to you, as to say, 27 years ago or thereabouts. How did that come about or how did Thomas come into your life? 
I remember in those years, I suppose we wouldn't have too many foster parents in Mayo okay. in those years. So, I mean, I, I saw it happening here sometimes. You know, a child might go leave in the morning and by evening time I'd have another batch of social workers coming in with a child in the evening. It was kind of all the time going around. Mm-hmm. You didn't you didn't have time to think about the one that you had and that was gone in the morning, who's another one landed in the evening. Yeah. So um, when Thomas came then I would also have Yasmin, uh, we adopted her at some stage. Yasmin was living here as a foster child. I would also have maybe another foster child here at the time when Thomas came. And Thomas uh, came as a baby, was it? He came as a very young, yeah, young he came, baby. Yeah, he came out of the hospital, yeah, yeah. straight from the hospital, okay. yeah. Into a very busy household, Josie, so you were, it was, it was like a very busy time for you. It was a busy household. We never treated everybody the same, they all got the same treatment. Mm. And I might be also minding, child minding at the time as well. So it was more like a crush here sometimes. Okay. I'm just thinking though, you know when somebody gets a new baby and there's the nine months and there's a preparation and there's the whole kind of lead up to it. And, you know, you suppose in your circumstances with Thomas, it was, you know, something that just happened overnight almost in a way, was it? No, it, that, it was planned. Oh, it was planned, that's good. Been planned because, uh, yeah, they were involved with his mother previous okay. to her birth and that. Okay. So, yeah, that would be a planned procedure coming in, yeah. And was it planned that Thomas would stay for a short time or, is that, or was it to be a long-term placement? Probably they all start off with short-term maybe. Mm-hmm. And so it was reviews. And then maybe when Thomas was... Four, a family member from England got involved and they wanted to adopt him. Okay. That took a while then, that procedure, and they were assessed and they used to be coming back and over from England. The person in question was an, an aunt of his mother and they had no family in London. So they started the everything with them and that was going on maybe for maybe a year to a year and a half. And then... At this stage, Thomas had a mind of his own and uh, the social workers would be talking to him and um, they decided that it wasn't in his best interest to move them to England, okay. out of Ireland. Okay. And how, how old was Thomas at that stage? Can you remember any of that, Thomas? Were you aware of that or any memories? Maybe he was coming five, six, maybe. Okay. Very slight memories. But you were, at the time, you, you were able to... Let your voice be heard. I'm sure there was no fear of that. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, and a good a good outcome all around by the sounds of things. I often wonder what would his life be if it did go ahead. I don't know. Sure. You know, you just wonder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Thomas, you, I suppose, from, from where are you at now? I mean, let's fast forward a little bit from that was you many years ago as a child. As, how does it feel to hear about that for you and, and where you're at now? Yeah, well, I mean, it's always interesting to, to hear it from Mab's perspective as well. But, you know, I was always very clued in on my history as a foster child. Um, and I was always very kind of involved in the entire process. You know, mm-hmm. it was a very large part of my life growing up. But I have to say it was always a very, very positive experience. 
and I'm definitely very lucky. I would consider myself to be one of the lucky ones. Okay. You know, and uh, now that I'm a bit older, you know, it's, it, it, it does provide me with a bit of identity as well. You know, so uh, there's a lot of other foster children who definitely may not have been so lucky. So, you know, you have to be very grateful for these things as well. Sure. No, I think that's, I think you're, you're right. And that's, that's a, that's a good way to, to look at it and to frame it for yourself. You know, there was people there for you. And uh, even though, you know, you stayed with Josie, that's, that's a really good, nice to hear that memory of some, somebody in your family stepping up. And it's really good to hear that. Um, I'm just thinking about, you know, you were talking about, you had contact with uh, Thomas's mum, Josie, and even for you, Thomas, around that, about I'm very conscious of birth mothers and birth parents and all of this and, you know, holding space for them. And what was it like or how has that been for you in terms of having a relationship with your mom and Josie, maybe with Thomas's mom? Well, from my side, you know, um, again, Josie and Gerald were always very, very facilitating when it came to having contact with my mother. You know, they always prioritized it and they said it was very, very important all, all the way growing up, even from a child, you know, they would encourage me to speak to her on the phone and to meet her in, in person when appropriate. Uh, I guess up until coming up to my teenage years, it was all a small bit difficult to understand what was going on in comparison to some of my friends that I was in school with. You know, there wasn't too many other kind of foster children that I could directly relate to mm-hmm. uh, that were in my class or in my school or any of that kind of thing. So I, I guess it was a bit alien at times. But, you know, as I kind of came into my teens, then I definitely began to understand it a lot better. And I begin to have maybe more meaningful relationship with my birth mother mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I was very lucky, again, just to always have contact with her growing up. And, you know, there was periods where sometimes where I may not speak to her for a while or there was a huge amount of effort being put in from her side and then from my side. And it fluctuates, you know, mm-hmm. it fluctuated a fair bit, but across the board, you know, it has to be said that uh, we always maintain the relationship to the best that we could. And Josie, for you, I mean, how is that as a foster mum, and maybe not just in Thomas's case, but just, you know, overall as a, as a, a very experienced foster mum, challenging, I'm, I'm assuming that there are challenges at times in helping foster children hold that relationship with their, with their birth parents. Yes, it was what I had previous parents coming which was which was more challenging maybe than Thomas's mother. Mm-hmm. My house was always open for the parents to come whenever. And not alone was I dealing with parents, I was dealing with maybe a grandmother or an aunt or a cousin. Mm-hmm. I never knew how many was going to come. That was the way I dealt with it. My house was always open. And in those years, we didn't have two cars. Sure. One car, my husband had his car gone to work. So there was no way I could be running around here, there, and everywhere meeting parents. So I felt it was a lot easier to come to my home. And I always met them very welcome. A lot of, you know, they would be children then separated. They'd be another family a couple of miles away and they wouldn't let anyone into their home. So them children would meet here for visitation. It worked for us as a family. It sounds like a really good and open and inclusive model or that you that, that you offered to the foster children that came to your home, Josie. So I can only say all credit to you for that because I know how difficult it can be to manage those situations at the best of times. So, yeah, it sounds great. I think I wouldn't change the model that I have here. Okay. 
if it was if it was left to me mm-hmm. then i saw other people you know that they couldn't come to here so you know you were faced in with children that didn't want to go to see their parents sure maybe to Casabar or somewhere else mm-hmm. or into supermax or somewhere else and you know, I saw that side of it too, children screaming and crying even here that they didn't want to go, but they had to go because the courts ordered it. It's a tough one, isn't it? Navigating access. It yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's still tough, I think, today. Mm-hmm. Access. It is. It's, it's obviously, there's so much to consider, isn't there? There's everybody, sensitivities for everybody involved. And Thomas, in terms of your experience of that, having your mum come to the house and for it to be open, how was that for you? Well, when you go through the different stages of, of childhood and going into your teens, it definitely does change. I wouldn't have had the emotional maturity as a child to kind of understand death, the situation and, you know, the reality of it. You know, sometimes she, she could call me and I might be very shy or, you know, there might be a huge amount of words said. I could maybe look at her the way that she was dressed or the way that she was, you know, acting or the language she was using. It could confuse me an awful lot. Hmm. But I think, um, you know, I, I think I was always quite open to her coming. And, you know, maybe there could have been a couple of times, I don't remember myself, maybe Matt can say, but maybe there was times where I wasn't comfortable with her coming, mm-hmm. or maybe I wasn't in the right headspace to actually see her. Uh, but at the end of the day, majority, if not all of the uh, interactions that we had growing up were, were generally quite positive. And, you know, it wasn't a very controlled environment here as well. I always felt safe. Anyways, and then I think particularly when I came into my teenage years, you know, I, I began to understand the depth of the entire situation a bit more wholly, and I began to kind of deal with it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you, you place a, a lot more seriousness on these things and a lot more, it's, it's easier to focus on the issues that are, that are present as you, as you start to get a bit older and you, you understand them a bit better. That allows you to respond better emotionally and you know use better language and be a bit more accommodating of the situation Mm -hmm. so uh yeah i definitely felt as i got older and as i matured uh, i began to look at it in a in a more of a positive than a wholesome light i guess sure thanks thomas and i think what you mentioned the word there was safety you're safe and i think that was obviously hugely important in terms of being able to to be able to establish that relationship with your mom feeling safe because that's the foundation isn't it and I'm wondering about, we rarely get to talk to, you know, too many children in foster care and, or have had ex- foster care experience. Josie's your mum and you have your other mum. And just a little bit about that. What's that like in terms of growing up with that sense of two families, two identities, a safe house, but maybe somewhere that's not so safe at times? Yeah, so as I was saying there, I would have always considered my foster family as my first family, you know. And there are a lot of other children in foster care who may be in and out of foster homes and maybe they lack that kind of identity with a family. But I'm glad to say I definitely never had that. You know, I was always made welcome here from day one and I always felt like, you know, Josie and Gerald were my parents. And and I'm very lucky to have that because there's definitely a lot of other foster children who don't have that. So um, I always understood and recognized the relationship that I had with my birth mother. You know, there was never really any confusion as to what was going on, or at least I don't think so from, you know, maybe six, seven, eight onwards, maybe even five. Ma'am can testify to that. But, 
Yeah, I mean, it was unusual and it was a small bit strange at times, but yeah, I would have always considered family here as my first foremost family. You're listening to the Stories from Foster Care podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Shalama Bolachi and you're listening to Stories from Foster Care. Josie, your, your own children, you had birth children at, at the time yourself and um, I'm always interested about, you know, the experience of, of birth families and for birth children and obviously Thomas, you see them as your brothers and sisters and they see you as, your, their, as their brother. Were there difficult times though or different times maybe? It was a difficult times, but yes, I had four children, Brian, Helen and Kieran. I know it. Noel is the oldest and he's party now, gone party. So yes, I suppose they will say in Thomas's years here, Thomas was, we'll say he'd be the youngest one here at the time then. And uh, I might be doing short term, but they wouldn't be here for too long. They'd be coming and going children and that. And um, I suppose Jared, my husband, my late husband, he would, he was very proud of Thomas. And he would be bringing Thomas to, because he'd done all the running around with them to matches and, you know, whatever he was taking part in and everything like that. And I suppose the allowance had increased a bit, not too much at that time, compared to when I started off in the beginning, the allowance was only pittance. So, I mean, if Thomas wanted such a thing, Thomas got such a thing. And he seemed to, he was... uh, a demanding child, put it that way. Not in a bad way, yeah. but, you know, Assertive. He seemed to get, yeah, seemed to get what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And I know we'll say my youngest, Noel, at the time, he would kind of have a bit of resentment. You know, there might be a bit of resentment, but then as they all got older and everything, they accepted it sure. and everything, and it didn't seem to be a problem. And Thomas, you're, you're, you, you, you were the baby of the family, of course, and it sounds like you were just, it's, it's more like the baby of the family, really, that I'm hearing than anything else. It's all, and the generational change, isn't it, from the, the, the children that came up when there was a, a bit more money around the place. So it sounds, I think, that's similar to what I would be uh, experiencing in my own family, you know. But thanks for that. I think it's an important thing to kind of think about sometimes is the, the birth children and, and your connection to them, Thomas, is, is quite strong, Yeah. Yeah, well, I would say so. You know, they were they were always very quick to, especially in my later years, you know, to give advice and be there for support. I mean, it definitely w- wouldn't have been easy on them when I was a child growing up because, as Mam said, I probably was very demanding. And you know, I, I do think that there are there are generational factors there as well. I mean, in those years from the ni- late nineteen nineties to you know the mid two thousands, society came an awful long way. You know, technology really started to come along. Things started to get very digitalized. You know, we started to have PlayStations and Xboxes mm-hmm. and things that weren't there back in the day that I would have gotten that they didn't get. And, you know, so I, I think, you know, that that's definitely to be taken into account as well. But absolutely, I do think that uh, Gerald and Josie may have coddled me a small bit growing up, but sure, I, I, I'm not complaining right now. So. Absolutely, don't, don't. Look, that, that, thanks so much for sharing all of that with us, really, being truly. It's really positive account of that, that period of your lives and thank you for that i was wondering if we could kind of fast forward a little bit and thomas you are 
we know you're 27. Are you living at home still with Josie or are you living out, out outside of the home? I'm, I'm here at the minute. Yeah, I was, I was uh, living in Dublin. I went to University College Dublin. I got a degree in social science. I worked in the Students' Union for two years. And I went and I did a master's in Smurfish in marketing. I worked in Dublin for a couple of years then. And uh, as it happened, we were forced out of our house. We were kind of evicted out of the house that we were in by the landlord. We couldn't really find accommodation. So ultimately, I had to move home for a small while. I do plan on moving out again in the future soon, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's been great. You know, I hadn't been living here at home since I was 18. Okay. You know, so getting to kind of come back after what eight years of living in dublin it's nice you know i i definitely kind of miss the hustle and bustle but Mm -hmm. at the same time you know it's peaceful it's quiet i get to see all of my older siblings kids that are kind of growing up now as well there's grandchildren running around the house so you know i'm a good source of support for them as well and so we'll see how it goes over the next year and Thomas, so you went to Dublin and you went to college uh, after when you turned 18 and went to Dublin. And so did aftercare play a, a role in your move out of Josie, Josie's home? Well, yeah, massively, okay. massively. I mean, ultimately, had it not been for kind of the, the support uh, that we received from the aftercare system, I'm not sure I would have gotten too far in college, you know, okay. because between accommodation and fees and going up and down on the train, and support myself. I'm, I'm not sure if Josie would have had the means to do all that had it not been for the aftercare system. Course, well, you know, and it definitely did play a large factor of getting me through college. For some of our listeners who may not be fully, you know, aware of the, after, the aftercare system, what it provides and what it offers, what were you able to avail of? Uh, well, I suppose through, the main thing was the, the, the aftercare grant uh, that was um, given to us kind of uh, on, a, on a monthly basis okay so i mean the financial support that i got from that really and truly you know helped me mainly i suppose with accommodation and you know uh, day-to-day costs and and all that kind of thing as well so that would have been the main thing now you know i had a, an aftercare worker at the time we had a so-and-so relationship i think whenever something was needed i would go to him rather than the other way around so i feel like i kind of had to make first steps a lot of the time it was a bit of a process to be honest not everything was as straightforward as i think it could have been but uh you know we got there in the end anyways and the supports were there but they weren't they weren't there like for my aftercare worker directly personally on a weekly basis or even really monthly basis kind of every couple of months we touch base now i know that there are other foster children who went into aftercare who may have had a lot more contact with their aftercare worker and, you know, may have had different sports to me. But I think on the whole, you know, the system didn't let me down. Okay. I, I, I do owe a lot of gratitude for that. That's great. And did it take you, Thomas, you, you talked about the, the, the Smurfit Business School, did it take you right up to that point? Yes, yeah. So I actually uh, availed of the Tuzla Bursary Fund for Education and Training. And I had applied for that and I was awarded the, the full amount, it was 5,000 euro towards my master's fees. And the fees in Smurfit were about 15,000 euro. Yeah. So, you know, that paid off for one third of the, of the fees. And so again, it, it was really a massive, massive help. Well done for, for, for achieving that anyway. And Josie, for you, I mean, in terms of aftercare, if you, would you have any thoughts or any, any experiences of it? How has it been for you to see children move on or young people move into the aftercare system? In those years, we had, when we were 
I'd say top of the class with the aftercare system we had in Mayo at the time. Okay. We were the only county, I think, at the time having an aftercare system. And I was very involved with our local branch of fostering, and I was also very involved with, we. I was one of the members to get the allowance updated besides keeping receipts and putting in receipts. I was on that panel at the time. So I was very familiar with what was happening mm -hmm. in other parts of the country. And I think, if I'm not praising myself, I think for, for all I knew myself, I don't know if the aftercare would have worked as good as it did for people that doesn't know how things work. In the, it may be different now, but in those years, I was very familiar. I was meeting people in different counties. I was, I was meeting the CEOs of, you know, we had the health boards sometimes, the Western Health Board, the Eastern Health which was all health boards. So we were dealing with four areas. We were kind of at the top at the time, Mayo were. And I was very familiar with the child care worker, the child care manager that we had in Mayo. He was very, very good and all that. So I think maybe I owe a lot of it to myself that I knew so much about how the system was working. You know, and even when I would be looking for something for Thomas, for the after, I'd be able to tell the aftercare worker, well, this is available okay. and you get it. It's really important to have that information and, and be able to, to advocate for yourself. And I'm just struck by talking to both of you. You're both strike me as very capable people and you're able to advocate. Were there times when, even when Thomas, maybe when you were younger, when, you know, you had to do that, you know, as a young person to advocate for yourself or Josie, were there times when you've had to advocate on either Thomas's behalf or another child? And what's that like for dealing with the system? It wasn't very nice knocking on, you know, on constantly at the senior social worker when he needed orthodontic treatment, dentist, you know, the likes of those things dental care and all that. The psychics, psychology, we paid for that several times ourselves privately, you know, when he was younger, when we, you know, wanted to find out different things. We done it on our own, you know, on ourselves. Okay. You felt you were begging for stuff all the time. It wasn't, it wasn't nice, but I would still do to this day, keep knocking on their doors because that's the only way you are going to get something done. I think you're right, yeah. And Thomas, yourself, did you have any times where you felt you had to self-advocate or push the boat a little bit? And how was that for you? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know you mentioned that as well, because I remember having one social worker for a long time, um, Elaine Duffy, and she was fantastic. You know, she was definitely uh, a model example of, of a social worker and how a social worker should be and should act. And she was fantastic. We had her for years and years and years, and I had a great relationship with her. Like, really, really great story. And then I think she had been moved on, not of her own accord or her own choice, but she was maybe relocated to a different area. Mm -hmm. And then between, I, I don't know exactly how many years in between or how long, but there was definitely swapping in of social workers, swapping out of social workers. And, you know, after having one social worker for so long that you had a real bond to, that's very, very important, particularly in the foster child's life. So I had written uh, a letter to the heads of the social work departments uh, detailing how I had such a good relationship with Elaine and how valuable she was to me and to the family. Yeah, just for advocating for myself 
And, you know, with the support of Josie and Gerald, we managed to get her reinstated back here in the area and she became my social worker again. And, you know, we would have counted that as a great win. Um, and I think that that letter, you know, written by myself, signed by myself would have really, uh, it was a good example mm-hmm. of, of, you know, a foster child kind of advocating for themselves. Absolutely. It's like Ma'am said, you really have to go knocking at doors to get what you want. Yeah. And I, I understand the way that the world works, but I don't think in this case, particularly in a foster child's case, that there should be so much swapping in and swapping out of social workers. You know, you want to try and keep one social worker, they have a good bond with the child and make that last as long as possible, you know? Yeah. It's a very important relationship, Thomas, and I'm glad that you spoke to it, definitely. And how old were you, Thomas, around that time? Just, I didn't, I'm not sure if I quite got that. He was, step, he was just beginning to start secondary school okay. at the time, so 13. Okay. And he, we had, we didn't have social work. He didn't have social work for maybe for two years at that stage. Okay. Maybe another one here and there, but nothing. So we kind of had to fend for ourselves and do what we needed to do. There was things that, you know, I would take it on board ourselves. That's including my husband. We would do things, you know, and maybe had to pay up front. They might reimburse it if they thought fit so mm-hmm. if there's a later state but you wouldn't want to be waiting for the money to come back to you <laughs> you know but we felt you know if there was a need that's the way i work yeah and i think even to this day i think if i had to do it now again i would do sure. that way as well and chance whether i get reimbursed for it or not josie you're telling me that you're still fo- you're still fostering you're actively fostering at the minute I'm doing, I'm in the out of hours emergency mostly. Okay. But um, I'm down for respite as well. Okay. Last week I was asked for respite. The family was too close to here. Okay. I couldn't do it. So I'm wondering, Josie, if I could ask you, with all of the challenges and the, the benefits and the joys of fostering that you've experienced, and you've, you've talked about many of them with Thomas there, for people who are entering into fostering now, and the benefit of all of your hindsight and your, your wisdom, <laughs> what would you say to them? What would you, your entry was, you know, you talked to your friend, your friend kind of led you this, sort of introduced you to it in a very casual way. And it's, it changed your life really, didn't it? It did, it yeah. did. And I don't regret any of them. So on that basis of that statement, you, you don't regret any of it. And it was life-changing. What would you say to other people who are starting off or considering or, just having thoughts about maybe what fostering might be like, what would you say to them? I would have to, I would recommend it to people, but I would have to tell them the downsides to it. They're important, Jossie. We weren't told downsides, because I don't think anybody knew going back two years ago. Mm -hmm. What did anybody know at the time, maybe? I don't know how long fostering is in existence, but I mean, we'd done the training, it was very simple. We didn't have a fancy house. So it was, that wasn't part of it that you had to have a spotless house or, you know, or a big house or everyone had a bedroom to themselves. And, you know. and Thomas, as somebody who has been a foster child and lived that path, what would you say to potential foster carers or what would your either encouraging or cautionary words be to them or words of wisdom? Well, I suppose from my own experience, you know, I don't think I could not but recommend fostering a child, you know, or, or a young person if you have the opportunity. I mean, you heard Josie speak there. She doesn't regret a day of it, but 
from my side, you know, if these wonderful foster parents had not been around, you know, I shudder to think as well where I might be right now. I don't think I'd have the quality of life that I, that I have right now. Mm-hmm. So I would say to anyone that is thinking of fostering, you know, as Josie said, educate yourself on the positives, the negatives, the upsides and the downsides. But on the whole, you know, it is a very, very wholesome experience. It's a very selfless thing to do as well. Um, I do think that there needs to be more, more supports in place for people who may want to become foster carers, Mm -hmm. you know, um, on on all sides. Uh, There needs to be more support there. Um, and I think that if those supports can be put in place, then, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't see an uptake of foster carers and new foster carers in the coming years, mm-hmm. uh, because there are a lot of kids out there that are in need of foster care. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have to look up, look after all of the people of Ireland, but particularly those that might come from a disadvantaged background or a broken background, you know, those, you know, more so than others as well so I would absolutely recommend it to anyone who's thinking about doing it Thanks Thomas and I, what I, I suppose I was thinking there when you were saying this about the supports and you know the increase of supports and I know financial support is a big thing for people yeah and I think we talked about that a little bit and what that what that means and how that can change your, people's lives help them into education keep them with their peers but what are the other supports that would have been or you could say we could really look at and improve? Well, a cri- and I, I not really know a bit, but the criteria for becoming a foster parent now, I had a son and a daughter-in-law wanting to do it because they were all, and without my family, I don't think we could be doing it, you know, where we kind of overlook our own families at the time. We take them for granted. If they were babysitters, they were Helpers, they, you know, they give up their rooms, they shared their toys, they shared everything, you know, in those years. But I think when my son and daughter-in-law, it was in the, when the downturn came, when they were applying to, because they always wanted to foster, but the criteria in those years were, and I'm only speaking from, through my own family now, is why they went so far with, doing it was because they were in arrears with their mortgage at the time mm-hmm. with the downturn and they weren't working they were disqualified now I don't I'm not familiar with the criteria of today but I still think they have lost and that's within my own family they've got they have lost a great foster dad and mother in my own family that's you. just two of them mm-hmm. um, been the rest of them saw that they didn't even bother, you know, and um, I mean, she, my daughter-in-law now, she child minds and everything, and she has a full house with children and all that. So I think that in regards to that, because myth at the time was the, the, whatever allowance was being done at the time, a lot of foster parents were paying their mortgages with their allowance. Now, that was, whether it was true, whether it was a myth, it's not for me to say, but I know my son and daughter were turned down on there. You know, they were in arrears with their mortgage sure. at the time. And um, a good few that time were, you know, so they never bothered. I knew a few more at the time, the same thing was happening to them. And Josie, you were talking yes. to me earlier about, or you were saying earlier that you 
psychology was something you know psychology assistance and stuff like that and you had to go looking for it and you had to kind of you know fight for it um do you think that's a support that we could be focusing on oh definitely definitely even if you got permission from Tusla to bring them privately and be refunded i don't think anybody would mind doing that Mm Because we know there is a shortage and we know there is a waiting list. Mm-hmm. But how long were you going to a psychologist for problems? Good while. Good while, maybe a year, two years. And is that something, could, Thomas, that you think we could improve on in terms of or look at an offer to children in, in foster care? Well, yeah, absolutely. Families? I mean, you know, at that time when I was going for, for psychology sessions and counseling sessions and that kind of thing, you know, it's 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 a it's a heavy expense you know what i mean and uh you know i would have felt nearly a small bit guilty at the time as well because it wasn't long after gerald passing away here and that would have been very difficult for ma'am and even from a financial standpoint as well you know and things are very kind of stretched in so i do think that those kind of supports should definitely be uh developed on and they should be a far more accessible you know because it Anyone and everyone could do with a bit of therapy and counseling, particularly from disadvantaged backgrounds who, you know, maybe struggle with a a lack or a sense of identity as to where they belong in the home or who their family are. You know, that can lead to a lot of developmental problems as you get older, your teens and adulthood, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is very common and maybe it's not talked about enough. So I think that things like that, access to these kind of services definitely need to be highlighted, improved and prioritized massively. Thomas and Josie, I think that's a nice kind of place to kind of put a, a full stop on your your wisdom and what you've got to share with us. And I really appreciate the time that you've taken this morning. And it's given us a really good glimpse into the all of the, the joys and the challenges that come with uh, foster care and how families, how pretty much it's very normal, what you've said. Some of the challenges are what we all experience and yet some of them are so unique to your own situation and your own circumstances and it's really beneficial to hear it and to be able to share it with others and i really thank both of you for your time and your thoughts and insights into uh and sharing your experience thank you so much no worries we really appreciate it as well it's nice nice to be able to come on and have a chat about it and kind of remind ourselves all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the two of us are very excited to do it. And thanks very much for the opportunity. Brilliant. I won't say I was excited. You weren't as excited, Josie, were you not? But look, at thank you. But listen, it's so, so lovely to talk to you. And I hope it provided an opportunity for you both to kind of, you know, reminisce and maybe catch up with a few, you know, reflect on a few times and, and see it from a, you know, with hindsight. And it's always nice to look back and see things and what you've achieved I mean Thomas you know and to wish you the best of luck and continued success in your career and Josie your your family and uh, it sounds like you've you've worked really hard to get with your so so best of luck with everything thank you Thanks so much. much thank you thank you many thanks to Thomas and Josie for that insightful conversation If you are considering fostering, please visit our website at www.ifka.ie. Don't forget to subscribe to Stories from Foster Care on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts.